So today I'm going to talk about power and passion, power and passion. And so before we move forward, because I think God does want us to move forward, I want to take you back. And I want to take you back to September 2008. In September 2008, there was a text message that I had in my phone. And I had saved it, and it was in the sent file. And um, I sent it to a certain number. I think it was one of the T girls. But it was September 19th, 2008, 12.43 p.m. And I sent a message, and I was so excited to send this message. And it said, Epicenter Church Service this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. with power. See you there. Now, you might think, well, okay, but there's a reason I use those words because for days in mid-September 2008, the main issue on everyone's mind and everybody's conversation and all the news media, the big thing we all discussed was who has power. Remember that? Hurricane Ike had come through. Hurricane Ike and whole subdivisions were without electricity for days and weeks. Days and weeks, 2008. What is that, 8, 21, 13 years ago? Food was thawing in people's freezers, but they didn't have any place to cook it. Generators became a coveted item, but they couldn't be found anywhere. They were out, everybody was out. And so we, in the church, decided we would pool our resources. And people went to stay with other people. I remember, Janine, you went to Monica and Veronica's home at the time. Some couples went to other couples' house that had kids, and, you know, they could just stay together and, you know, do what they could. And, and a whole group of us brought food every single night to Sabata's home. And others would walk in with piles of dirty laundry to Sabata's home. Now, this was B.C., before Courtenay, okay? <laughs> this is 2008 B.C., okay? <laughs> and so... They would, they would all walk into Sabata's home carrying groceries, dirty clothes. Why? Because he had power. <laughs> he had power. <laughs> Channel 2 News reported that Centerpoint Energy said that, that out of its 2.26 million people, 2.26 million customers, 1.99 million were without power. Nobody had power. Then one family in the church had power for a little while, and <laughs> we were excited. You know, I remember I read on Facebook just recently, Kevin and Ingrid without power, and then like, our power's back. And, and, and we called Alan, and Alan goes, my power's been out since 2 a.m. You know, different people had power, and different people didn't. And then Sabata, John, and Chris, because B.C., Sabata did have people living with him. It just wasn't Courtney. <laughs> it was John and Chris, all right? They were roommates, three bachelors. It was a little crazy. So Sabata, John, and Chris lost their power momentarily. And then Cammie had no power for days. And then when the electricity of the church came back on, we sent our text message. Now, during the powerless days, we will not name names, but one young man said to me, God, the girls look different without makeup. But we know that young man was single, right? Because the married men know much better than to say anything like that. Okay, and so I sent out my text, and it said, Epicenter Church Service this Sunday with power, because I like the play on words. Jesus said in Acts 1-8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. 
And so we preach the power of the gospel. We preach the power of the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, I have given you power. Power outage is not a good phrase. If you say power outage, nobody likes that term. Nobody welcomes that. Yet, I think that the church can get lulled to sleep because the devil's goal is for us to think it's normal to be without power. You know, when Easy went to India, Cami and Alan also have been to India. Easy went many times. One of the things that they prepared him for was intermittent electricity. At a moment's notice, the power goes out. It can come on again soon or maybe not so soon. And so a flashlight is a necessity because the power can go out at any time. And the main reason is corruption in government. But the people have gotten so used to this condition, so used to living this way, that it seems normal to them. And it's expected, and so they just adapt to it. What we here consider outrageous, unacceptable, in September 2008, even in a windstorm or a rainstorm, it's a regular way of life for them. So why does it not sound crazy to us that the church of Jesus Christ indwelt with the same spirit, the same mighty spirit that raised Christ from the dead, has gotten progressively more and more powerless as a whole so that power is now the exception rather than the rule? Have we begun to accept intermittent power, spotty power, just our neighbor having power, but we don't have any as the norm? Or the preacher has power, but nobody else has power. Charlie Champ has power. He's doing a crusade, but you don't expect power on Sunday at church. Our lives are surrounded with power, power tools, power broker, power brakes, power steering, power windows. We demand power in every area of our lives except one. And in the church world, not having any power has become acceptable. And sometimes if you have power, people think you're some fringe group (laughs) or you're weird. (laughs) Where has the power gone? We were not content without power in the natural in 2008 or a few weeks ago. So why in the world would we be content without spiritual power supernatural power, dunamis power, healing power that is promised to us by God himself. You know, a while back, Easy started doing this thing a, a couple years ago, and we'd drive by a place, you know, in, his, in one of his other seasons of life. Now, most people have four seasons in a year. Easy's had 70 million seasons to his life. You know, it's been prophesied, I'm going to extend your life. Sabata even had a word about, you know, on the golf course, there's so many holes, but God is saying your game will be so much longer. Easy has done many things in his life. There was a season, you know, when he owned sports teams and, and, and this and that. There was a season when, when, when he worked under the trailer like a mechanic for the Generation Jesus kids after he had been a success in the world. But there was a season when he developed and built many apartment projects and buildings and things. And so, Easy remembers the days when you drive down the highway or down the street in Houston, and that was just a field. And, and then somebody he knew built something on it, or maybe a whole subdivision came in that area, or he built some apartments. And so we'd be driving, and he goes, that used to be 
uh, uh, this or that. And that used to be, oh, over there, that used to be. And so one time I go, I'm sick of all the used to be's. I go, can we, just, like, like, can we just quit dwelling on the past and all the used to be's? You know, it's like a used to be life, you know. And then I started doing it a few years ago. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? You know, sometimes what you judge, you become. All right. And so, so then I'd go, you know, we used to do this and you know, we used to do that. And, you know, Alicia, we used to do this. And, and see, if we're not careful, we're going to all have a used to be life. What we used to do, all the healings we used to see, how many converts we used to have, uh, how many people we used to disciple, all the witnessing we used to do. God provoked me to jealousy this week. Late at night, you know, I'm a night owl, y'all know that. Alicia gets gets emails from me at 2 a.m., 4 a.m., 6 a.m. She goes, does she ever sleep? God doesn't sleep or slumber, and sometimes I'm like that, but I'm praying that he gives me sweet sleep. And so... I was provoked to jealousy because I turned on TV and I went to one of the Christian channels and I saw a woman ministering. And I mean, she was ministering like we used to minister, but she was doing it now. But she was ministering like we used to minister back in the 70s and in the 80s and back in the Generation Jesus days. And I'm like, where's the power gone? <laughs> it's still here. <laughs> Maybe we're just not stepping into it. Maybe we're just not tapping in. Maybe we just settled. We started to think no power is normal. You know, in the days, we're in pivotal times right now. I don't, I don't even know pivotal is the right word. Crazy, insane. In the days of Esther, there was a danger in her going to the king to plead for the Jews. But there was more danger in her remaining silent. My praise, I won't be silent. See, there's more danger in being silent. And the, the message of Christ is not readily accepted anymore. You say you're a pastor, nobody respects you anymore. They sort of suspect you. <laughs> they don't respect you, they suspect you, <laughs> okay? And I think the time is urgent, and I think the heart of God is grieved by a church not our church, but a church, the church at large, lulled into complacency by politically correct uh, humanistic agendas. Now, Adam McCain, he wasn't, was he there when y'all were there at Christ for the Nations? Dan and Alicia graduated from Christ for the Nations with a degree in, what was it, practical ministry? And then when they got here, I go, y'all aren't practical at all. Y'all come here and you're going to learn. <laughs> they gave you a degree in it, but we're going to teach, teach you how it works. <laughs> but Adam McCain was the director of Christ for the Nations for, for many years, Is he still? No. Okay, several years ago, he said this. Humanism can be defined as man is God. It's when the fears of man are more important than anything else, and life is about caring for the needs and concerns of man. We have been in a very serious pandemic, and we constantly are getting flashed, you know, how many people we've lost because of this horrible, horrible virus. But how many people are we losing to hell? Are we keeping track? How many people are dying that don't know Jesus? Does anybody care? Are there any stats on that? And so the Apostle Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Humanism has infiltrated our churches, and the mentality has become, what can God do for me? Somebody the other day on the phone, not in this church, said, well, it didn't look like God's doing anything for us anymore. Look what's happening out there. Look, 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 look what's happening politically. I prayed a prayer. It didn't get answered. 
See, if God does a favor for me, then I'll serve him is the attitude. If I get my needs met, then I'll serve God. See, Cammie said Jesus is the victor. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the healer. But see, some people see Jesus as sugar daddy. <laughs> is, lotto, is the lotto ticket, the winning one. And so Adam McCain said, when the I does not die, then the I lives. And it infiltrates Christianity. And when this happens, Christianity no longer has the power, the power to change the world. When humanism infiltrates our thought processes, how I feel, what I want, what I think, how, how I like it, what I'm comfortable with. See, if it doesn't make me happy, it must not be God. Then we can no longer change the world because guess what? We are like the world. Now, that's on a national level, and I'll get more personal. You're like, oh, no, you've said enough. But Mario Murillo, I love, I love Mario Murillo. Mario Murillo has not changed. The message he preached in the, the revival of the, what, 60s and 70s? He's the, preaching the same message now. Somebody said to us, y'all are the only church that still just worships freely and does flow and everything, you know, except for a few large uh, uh, mega churches that that's their whole trademark. And I said, we just haven't changed. You know, we used to worship our house like this. When we used to have Bible studies, we worship like this. We still worship like this. See, we're not going to be a slave to a program or a time. The message, styles can change. Don't get me wrong. There's many things that we've changed. Styles can change. Alan's always changing the fonts and the colors on me. And I'm like, I liked the old cards. And he goes, they're not in anymore. And I go, what does it matter? He goes, you need to move on. People move on. You just don't. But, and so it's okay. The fonts can change. The colors can change. The sign can change. But the substance that's Jesus cannot change. See, our love and our passion for him should not change. The power level should not change. So Mario Murillo writes in Fresh Fire. That since many so-called believers have never felt the sting of repentance, they have never experienced true resurrection. I know for a fact that we have multitudes sitting in megachurches and smaller churches alike who are not truly saved. They profess a belief in Christ, but they have not been transformed. He says, some are interpreting every scripture from a what-can-it-do-for-me attitude. We've got people who boast of great authority yet they crumble at the first wave of adversity. They know all their biblical rights, but none of their responsibilities. Now, in Generation Jesus, will do, will give me a used-to-be pass for a moment. In Generation Jesus in the 90s, and that's where many of our people that are on the preaching team sort of came from in those early days. They were young people on fire for God, and we just sort of set them loose to do ministry. And we got a lot of flack for that because people go, well, do any of them have seminary degrees? And I go, well, I don't know, but 14, I mean, 140 people got saved last night. You know, is that a problem? Well, do you think they should be preaching from a, a stage, you know, if they don't even really have a good, solid biblical foundation? I go, they're giving their testimony. They're just giving their testimony, and people are coming to the Lord. I mean, we got more flack because people weren't having that same kind of result with their youth. So I got wise, and I, I, I pulled a play from Easy's Playbook, and I started inviting all the youth pastors to speak a little bit at our meetings, and then people quit hating us, and they became part of us. And so then when we did a big Mercer Stadium outreach, all the different churches joined together because there is a certain power in unity that you cannot deny. And so do not pull for disunity. Disunity gets you nowhere. And so we had a, a little slogan, and I love alliteration, as you know, 
And so, and they don't probably, do people know what exponents are and to the third power? Does anybody do that anymore? Does anyone know math? All right. Do they teach math anymore? And so uh, it was mission T to the third power was my little slogan for the kids, for Generation Jesus. Transform lives, train leaders, team ministry. We still sort of operate by that today here. But see, there's a tolerance gospel out there. And here's how they define the good news. Tend to me. Tickle my ears. Tell me I'm okay. And see, no matter what kind of gross sin somebody's in, if you don't tickle their ears and tell them they're okay and tend to them, you are not kind like Jesus. You are not loving like Jesus. They'll pull the Jesus. People who don't give a wit about Jesus pull the Jesus card on you. Have you noticed that? They know all about Jesus when you don't say and do what they want. The disciples in the book of Acts they turn the world upside down. They turn the world upside down. But see, really, they turn the thinking of people upside down. See, it starts in our thinking. And the Bible is clear that to whom much is given, much is required. God has given us much. Let me be clear. The tangible presence of God is usually here at every service in, in some form or another. God meets us. Who are we that he is mindful of us? See, who are we that he is mindful of us? Thank you for our worship leaders that, that pay the price to press in, to, to create a, an, a, an open heaven for us so that we can experience something. People have gotten healed just sitting in their seat during worship. God took a cancerous tumor out of easy, I mean, we have the PET scan. People go, how do you know the tumor was there? We have PET scans and diagnoses and doctors measuring. They went down with an endoscope with a camera, and they saw it, and they took pictures of it, and they told us how many centimeters it was. And, and, it, and the PET scan showed all the activity in the lymph nodes. But on that Sunday during worship, he came up, and he, when it, after church, he goes, God took the cancer out of me. It came up out of my head. And I go, oh, don't tell anybody. That sounds crazy. We went to get the PET scan a few weeks later, and they couldn't find it. And they did an endoscope with the camera, and the doctor comes out with a troubled look on his face, and I thought, oh, God, oh, God, because I'd, I'd gotten worried by then. You know, you get triggered. You see a look on a doctor's face, and you get nervous. And he goes, sort of odd. We, we, we can't find the tumor. So they still had to go in and do the surgery in case there was even a, a, a microscopic trace on any tissue but when they did they took out 16, 16 lymph nodes and there was no cancer in any of them see that's where the the waste things go if you had it it should be in one of them so the report said they did surgery on the area where the cancer had been I go would you call this a miracle well I'd call it very unique you know it's where so they put where the cancer had been God has given us much, but I think he's requiring more of us. Because we tend to admire people who take risks, but we want to play it safe. In the 60s and 70s, the preaching of the day was demanding. The sinner heard a message of love, and yet it was full of fire. And the mandate was change now and change completely. Surrender it all. Give it all to him. See, there was power. There was glory. Obeying God seemed reasonable. It wasn't like an extra special thing you did when you were in the mood. And change was radical. Generation Jesus in the late 90s was exactly like that. 
It's what we believe today. It is the power of the gospel. That is the true gospel message. But every move of God hits a point where the fire starts to wane. I want it back. I want it back. I'm tired of thinking about what we used to do. I'm tired of telling you that easy used to get people out of wheelchairs. I'm tired of telling you the Generation Jesus made a difference in the whole county that we used to. I'm tired of what we used to be. I'm not settling for a used-to-be life. I don't have as much time left as I used to have, so I want to make the most of it. Revival is not some vision we thought up. It's not a catchphrase. Revival is God's will, but certain conditions foster revival. Revival starts in the individual lives of people in the church. Uh Uh-oh, now it's about you. (laughs) Because then, and only then, does it begin to spread to everything it touches. It's got to start with a nucleus of people who are hungry, who will pay the price, who will pray, and who will settle for nothing less. A group of people. Passion for God and the fire of God go hand in hand. But we must want revival enough to be separated, consecrated, and focused. Focused on what? Revival? No. (laughs) No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Because revival is only a means to an end. We need to be focused on God. He must be our all in all. We must be consumed by him. We must, we, oh, just the thought of him, like that, the mention of his name, that's what we care about. God, we want more of you. God is the end. He is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the first and the last. See, it's all about him. But if we're not careful, we're living in a humanistic pseudo-church mentality that it's sort of about God, but it's all about us. And God is there to tend to us and to tickle my ears and to tell me I'm okay and to get my you know, request uh, handled. And, and if he's not, uh, I'll go just do it myself. And I don't have time for him because he's not been doing stuff lately. Satan will try to hinder our focus by using busyness, distraction, delay. We get tired of waiting, so we just move along. Fatigue. Fatigue. Cammy used to say, you start getting ready for church on Saturday, because what you do on Saturday makes a lot of difference on how you're going to feel on Sunday. And if you just drug yourself out, and you stay up all night, and you do this and do that, Sunday you're just dragging in. And so if it's time to praise, like you can hardly stand there. Disappointment. You're disappointed because of something God didn't do. Temptation. Another hindrance to focus is pandemics. (laughs) Political arena. Arena is the right word because it's a battle. But God is trying to align our hearts with his. He's trying to put his heart for people. People we like and the people we don't like. His heart for people in us to get us to love him more than all other things. So that we are wholly devoted and sold out to him and we are passionate about him. I have to admit that Easy and I have, have never changed sort of our, our pursuit of God over the years. 
But I also have to admit that when these 20-somethings and 18, 19, 20-somethings came in in the mid-90s, it revived us, and it sparked something on the inside of us, and they would pray. They didn't have anything else to do. They would pray, <laughs> but a lot of kids don't have anything else to do, and they do some other stuff. But these kids got a hold of a passion for God, and, a and they decided that we were going to have revival in Fort Bend County. And I go, just in the county? I go, like, is there a border? And they would go, yes. And, and they would tell me the parameters that they were praying for. And they would pray for 10 and 15 and 20 hours a week, all told. Some of them maybe two and some of them maybe 15, okay? But people were praying all the time. And I, they would go, can you give us a key to the church? Uh, we need to go pray. Uh, tonight we wanted the church to pray. We're at so-and-so's house tonight. We're praying. I mean, they were relentless. They were like the woman, you know, with, with, knocking, knock. they wouldn't quit knocking. They were going to have revival. And for months, like two people came to their meeting. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, God just said a simple thing. We didn't know it was this major word from God. And I passed it on to them, and they did what I said, and exponentially started growing, growing, growing. I don't know what's God saying to us, but you know what? I didn't come up with that word all by myself. One of the members of the congregation came to my door, knocked on it, and she said, God wants y'all to get away and pray. He wants to say something. I see waterfalls of young people coming. We went and rented a hotel because we never had any peace and quiet at our house. Kids were in and out all the time. Uh, we didn't even have an office then at the church. There was no room for that. It was just 2,000 square feet. And so we rented a room on the Southwest Freeway in sort of a, a musty hotel, and it was bothering my throat. And I couldn't wait till I left. But in the middle of all that, God said, tell the boys to do this, this, and this. And I did exactly what God said. What's God telling you to do? See, the littlest thing, that woman knocked on my door. She goes, I was going to the grocery store, and God told me to come knock on your door and tell y'all y'all need to get away that uh, I see waterfalls of youth coming. You, know, you, can just let, you can just let that go in passing so easy because you're watching the news, and you want to see the latest statistics, and you want to see which governor is doing what and, and what the president is doing that you don't like. The, you know, like we are so busy, much ado about nothing. And so the fields are ripe unto harvest, and the time is now. Sergio Scataglini is a wonderful man of God. He lives in Louisiana now. He was in Argentina. He was a part of the great Argentinian revival uh, back in the, I don't even know the years. I get my decades mixed up. Now I'm into decades, not years. But he said that a church with revival fire usually has these characteristics because the church of the book of Acts had them. Number one, they build a fireplace. See, you've got to have a place for fire to fall. Let your fire fall, let, you know, let the wind blow, let your glory come down. Where? Where? See, you got to have a place for God to fall. So he wants to inhabit you, the Christ in you, the hope of glory. But, but sometimes there needs to be a corporate place. And we've already said, God, let this be the place. We pay a humongous amount of rent for this space <laughs> and this space down the way. We raise a ton of money and we stay for 20 years to be able to get in here, not for it to be empty. God said, get a place bigger than you need because revival is coming. What are we missing? What are we not hearing? What is the missing link? I don't know, but I need you to press in with me because this place needs to be full because I don't like to waste God's money. I like to be a good steward, and so I don't want to pay all this rent for empty seats. We could all squeeze into a, a space half this size, and we pay half the rent. <laughs> I'm practical. Alicia knows it. <laughs> She's laughing. She does our administration. See, build a fireplace. We've got a place. This should be packed so that the fire marshal comes in and goes, you got too many people in here. <laughs> you, you, you know, you're, you can't have that many people. So we've got to have a place in us and a corporate place. 
make room. Alan kept getting those words. Make room. Make room. We've got the physical room. Let's make room in our hearts for whatever he's saying. Let's listen intently. Let's, let's line up our ear so that we can hear what he's saying. I got a glimpse of Terry. She gets sick of me saying this. But, I mean, back when I was very, very ill in the late 80s, I didn't get ill again because Terry just told me a simple scripture. And it didn't probably sound like the biggest deal on earth to her. But it was the biggest deal of earth that I didn't get all sick again because we were just starting our ministry and we would not have been able to do it had I been bedridden like I was. And she just had this urge from the Holy Spirit to call me and tell me she got a scripture for me out of Nahum. Uh, this shall not rise up a second time. And didn't know that I was fighting, feeling like it's going to rise up a second time. The smallest thing you say to somebody can set them free, can be their key to their biggest victory. Build a fireplace. Number two, we need fuel for fire. Unity and being in one accord is always fuel for a fire. You want to put a fire out, you, call, you start having dissension and judgment and criticism in a church, it just, it just the flames, they go down, they're out. But unity, loving one another and united in purpose, and our purpose is to pursue God and, and, to, and to, to make a difference in people around us. We're so disgusted about how people are. Guess what? We have something that can help change people. <laughs> We're just mad they're not like we want them to be. What are we not doing that would help them get there? Number three, somebody needs to light the flame. I'm trying to do that today. <laughs> I'm trying Leaders who ignite the flame. But see, a few people can't do all the burning. They'll burn out. Alan cannot do all the burning in court. And Julie, the people up on stage can't do all the burning. And we just watch them burn. I mean, pretty soon they'll burn out. <laughs> we need to do our part. Are we fanning the flames? Or we're just sort of watching the flames. <laughs> so it takes all of us, congregational participation, come expecting. You come expecting long enough, sooner or later, you'll get birth of something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> the world is not attracted to many things about our gospel, really. It's just true. Because they've acquired taste for other things. You can get addicted to things that are bad for you. And you can have a taste for what's not good for you. Because that's all you've eaten. And you haven't tasted something that's good for you, and you have to acquire a taste for other things. So the world's not attracted to many things about our gospel, but a church on fire for God, it attracts others even if they just think it's a sideshow and they'll come. And I'll tell you what, people thought we were a sideshow sometime and they just came to watch what we were doing and, and God fell on them and they got saved and they got delivered and they got filled with the Holy Ghost. So a church on fire for God is attractive, whether it's for good reason or bad reason. That's okay. We don't care why people come, let them come. And then let God do what he wants to do. And so I want God's fire to fall, and I want us to pray. Dale Gentry uh, is a man of God that we know. We've known for many years. He's prophesied many things that we've already seen come to pass and a few that we're still waiting on. And one of the things he said was, get a place bigger than you need because revival's coming. But this morning, uh, I opened up my emails, and we get an email. He, he has Let's Pray America. And I got a, uh, the email with his prayer in it, and it was interesting to me that he sort of prayed what I'm preaching today. And so we're going to end with this prayer. But just pray in your hearts along with me. Holy God, here we are to worship. Here we are to bow down. May we enter your house with intention 
to worship you and pursue you. Pursue. Pursue. Run after. Run after wholeheartedly. I'm adding that. But to pursue you. We have to come in with a pursuit in our heart. Lord, stir up a great anticipation of your glory. Anticipation. Do you come in with anticipation? Stir up, Lord, in us a desire for your presence that takes higher priority than any other event in our lives. I've taught our preaching team and our young people and our ministry team to wipe the slate clean. I don't care what's happening when you walked in the door, what happened last night or all morning or even in the car on the way here. Wipe the slate clean when you walk in and let God write on it. Because he might say something very different than what you would be thinking about. So take us higher than any other priority, than any other event in our lives. May a deep hunger, a hunger begin to settle in our hearts, knowing that revival will never happen if we are not hungry and not praying. We must pursue you like never before. We must be consumed with the holy dissatisfaction, dissatisfied with the status quo, dissatisfied with church as usual, dissatisfied where your presence is not welcome. Forgive us for placing a high priority on our plans and our programs. Forgive us for putting you behind our schedules and our agendas. Lord, may we pursue you with everything in us, constantly looking for that next spiritual awakening. In Jesus' name, I pray. And if you're in agreement, say amen. Amen.